where the gypsy class lives, the lowest of the lowest of the social classes in Hinduism. And because of people being so poor, if you have a little girl born into a family, they know that a Hindu custom, before she can ever get married, is you have to give her a dowry. And these poor people have no way to accumulate money or wealth or anything to equip a daughter with a dowry to get married. So they simply sacrifice them to these demonic gods. It's in a mountainous region. And every Tuesday there's a man that comes through that town with a big burlap bag. And he just collects all the little baby girls that people want to get rid of. Puts them in the burlap bag, walks up the mountainside, prays to these demonic mountain gods, and then pours that bag of little baby girls out over the cliff for these babies to die a horrible bloody death on the jagged rocks below. Now, some of you are frowning at me and wincing and turning up your faces at the description of that. Well, that goes on today. Now, don't get too upset about it because in America we call it pro-choice. It's murder by convenience. So don't think too bad of the people in India for what they're doing and their sacrifices to their demonic gods. We do it 4,000 plus times a day and every day in our nation to kill innocent children in the abortion mills of our nation. In this particular place, I preached on the fact that Jesus was the sacrifice, that He freely gave His life, He freely shed His blood to be an atonement for the sins of everybody. Preached the whole thing in 15 minutes and then gave an invitation for salvation. That night there were probably 40, 50 60, I don't know how many, I didn't count, of these Hindus that came forward to receive Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior. And as they were standing around the front where we had the microphone, as they gathered there, as we prepared to pray a prayer asking Jesus to come into their hearts, one of the most amazing things that I've ever seen happened. In that moment, right before the people prayed, the presence of God just just came. The windows of heaven opened on us as we gathered around this place with 40, 50, 60 Hindus getting ready to pray a sinner's prayer. But what happened next was one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen. There was a young woman there. She would have been about 20, 21 years of age, a Hindu woman, born and raised in that village we found out. In all likelihood, she'd never even heard English, much less speak it. But when that glory came in that moment, suddenly this girl grabs her ears like this and begins to scream in agony. I mean, it sounded like you were literally pulling her fingers off one at a time, just in agonizing cries of pain. She begins to scream. And it was a demonic manifestation that had come to the surface when the presence of God, when the glory of God had been revealed and the heavens had opened and God had showed up. And I went over to her. I mean, I had to deal with her. I mean, the whole service had stopped at this point. All the people standing there to get saved, everybody's looking at her. I mean, this is the kind of commotion she's causing. I mean, she's just screaming in agony. And that woman began to speak to me in perfect English. She had never heard English in her life. She'd never spoken English. And this demon inside of her began to speak. And it was so remarkable what that demon said. That demon began to speak in perfect English 
saying, Who are you and why have you come here? These people belong to me. You cannot have them. Don't use that horrible name. Don't talk about that awful blood. You can't have them. They belong to me. Well, I'll give you three guesses what happened, you know. Just touched her. The power of God hit her like a cruise missile. She went to the ground under the power of God and got saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. Her family got saved. Everybody there got saved in that place. But I will never forget that night for this reason. Nothing happened until the heavens opened and that glory came and that manifested presence of God came. And I felt it and everyone standing with me felt it and all of those people gathered around the front felt it, felt the tangible presence of God. And it was in that that suddenly the lid was removed and this powerful demonic spirit that was holding this young woman and holding that whole village captive began to speak using perfect English. Don't use that awful name. Don't speak about that awful blood. Who do you think you are? This belongs to me. You can't do this. Well, yes, we can, Bobo, in the name of Jesus. And you come out of her and loose her and let her go. And God touched her and God saved her. But it was in that revelation of glory. Beloved, when the glory comes, He comes to set the captives free. He comes to heal the sick. He comes to save the lost. He doesn't come to do harm to people. He comes to bring blessing to people. That's what the Scriptures were referring to, the Bible, when it says, For this purpose was the Son of God manifested, that He might do what? Destroy the works of the devil. And the reason that this truth must be understood is God wants to reveal His glory to destroy every foul work of the devil, whatever it is. Over the years, we've seen remarkable healings in our services. And we usually go to a church and we're there for usually a week and sometimes it goes into the second week, sometimes it goes into the third week. Whatever God wants to do, it's just fine by us. But over the years, we've heard the testimonies of many, many marvelous, marvelous miracles of healing. And people have said, Brother John, you have a healing ministry. And I just laugh. I just laugh. If I had a healing ministry, I'd heal everybody. But what we do in our meetings is we just say, Holy Spirit, you can come. You can do whatever you want to do in any way you want to do it. We're not embarrassed of Him. We're not ashamed of Him. We're not afraid that He'll mess up our meeting. We're very afraid we mess up His. But in the glory, church, when He comes, when His presence is manifested, anything becomes possible. We've heard of many people over the years that were healed in the services, and no one ever prayed for them. In one church, there was a young woman that had been diagnosed with a brain tumor. It was like a spider web all through the brain. The doctors had said, you know, we're going to do chemotherapy, but this is a terrible, aggressive form of cancer, and we may can buy some time if we get started immediately. This young wife and mother of two small children told her doctor, she said, no, we've got some meetings that start Sunday at our church, and I wanted to be there. The doctor said, ma'am, we can't afford for you to wait another day. We've got to start the chemo now. And she said, well, I'm not going to take chemo this week. I'm just going to go to church. No one knew she was even sick. The pastor didn't know. The people didn't know. 
She never came forward for prayer. She just sat in her seat in the presence of God, morning after morning, night after night. She went back to the doctor the next week, the next Monday, to begin the chemotherapy. But she said, Doctor, before we do it, I need you to do another CAT scan. He said, we don't need to do that. We've already done all that. I said, no, I need you to do one more. And when they did, they found the cancer was all gone. The same thing happened in another church. A woman that had just been diagnosed with leukemia just sat in the presence of God for that week of meetings, went back to her doctor's, had a blood test. The leukemia was totally gone. One of my favorite testimonies was the testimony of a little six-year-old boy that had arthritis in every joint in his body. Six years old, and yet he walked like this. It was so painful. He couldn't move. He couldn't bend. His fingers, his hands, everything all stiff and painful. And the doctors had said, there's nothing we can do for him. Six years old, a body full of arthritis. His mother brought him to the meetings and just laid him in the back of the church on the church pew with a pillow and a blanket and let him sleep. My dear brothers and sisters, at the end of the week, the little boy was not only up off the pew, he was running, he was leaping, he was praising God just like the man healed in Acts chapter 3. God came and visited him. No one prayed for him. That little boy went on to get on the soccer team and was now in high school. He's never had a moment of pain and of arthritis in his body since that time. No one prayed for him. But you see, he was in the presence of God. And God saw that. And God touched him and found glory for himself by the healing of that child. Church, everything he is, is present. Everything he has comes. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and forever. To him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly, above all that we ask or think, that's the one that we make room for. That's the one that we're making a place for. That's the one that we're welcoming and we're inviting when we yield to the Holy Spirit and allow the tangible presence and glory of God to come and fill our lives, come and fill our churches, come and be a part of our ministry is one that is able to exceed, far surpass anything that we could even imagine in our own hearts. He's able to do that as we yield to Him. There's power in this. There are riches in His glory. Look at Philippians chapter 4. Flip over there with me. Paul writes to the church at Philippi, and he said, Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and am abounding. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, 
a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And then in verse 19, And my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Church, there's liberty, there's freedom, there's blessing, there's favor, there's provision that supernaturally comes in our lives. Turn with me to Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. The Bible says, Will a man rob God? And yet you've robbed me. But you say, In what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. He said, You're cursed with a curse, for you've robbed me, even the whole nation. Verse 10 says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me, or prove me, God says, in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven. There it is, right there. And pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he'll not destroy the fruit of your ground. Nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed, and you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Church, one of the most supernatural things that we do in church is offering time. One of the most supernatural things that we do in church or in our lives is when we give to God, when we tithe and when we give. The Bible says if you'll do it, God promised, He said, I will open the windows of heaven. Some people think this is just about, well, if you tithe and give, God will give you money back. Well, He will. No man will ever outgive God. God will always give back. I've never been able to outgive God. Never have, never will. Whatever we give Him is going to come back in a greater measure in our own life. That's a fact. That's a promise of Scripture according to Luke 6.38. But this blessing promised in Malachi is so much bigger than just money. He said, I will open the windows of heaven over you, and I will pour you out such a blessing you'll not even be able to contain it. That blessing includes peace, joy, favor, health, healing, blessing at every turn. That's the place, I mean, where God even rebukes the devil on our behalf. He said, I'll rebuke the devourer on your behalf when you're living under an open heaven. There's blessing. There's blessing. Look at Romans chapter 9, verse 23. And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory. You and I have been created in the image of God, made and designed by God to be recipients of his presence, his power, his life, and his anointing. For God to come and reveal his glory in us and to us and through us individually and corporately as a church. Blessings come in the glory. Blessings. Go on and read on your own these other scriptures here. Ephesians 1.18, Ephesians 3.16, Colossians 1.27. It is the will of God to meet all of His children's needs while they're living on the earth. His way of doing that is that we seek after and live in His presence and in His glory. Look with me at Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 31, Jesus says, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. 
for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Verse 33, he said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Remember in an earlier session, we talked about the difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, and how that heaven is a place and the kingdom of heaven is a reference to that place as real as Georgia, but how that the kingdom of God is when a measure of that realm spills over into this realm and we get to taste of that realm while we're still living in this realm, that, my dear brothers and sisters, is the kingdom of God. And what Jesus said is don't be concerned with all the other things the world is concerned with, but seek first the kingdom of God. What's that? An open heaven. What's that? The revelation of His presence. What's that? The revelation of His glory. What is that? His manifested presence. And He said if you'll do that, all these other things, all these other things, they will just flow to us and they will come to us. In Second Samuel chapter 6, turn there with me, we want to return again to this story of David seeking to return the ark to its rightful place. And we've studied earlier how David wanted the glory to come and how he took 30,000 men and a new cart and a new ox went to transport the ark, and we've studied how that Yuza disrespected the glory of God, the presence of God that was on that ark, and touched it. Because of that, he died. And how David cried out, How can the glory come unto me? That was the question that was in David's heart. And so because of fear, church, of what had just happened to this man, Yuza, who had died because he touched the glory, they left the ark. David would not move the ark, verse 10, of the Lord with him to the city of David. But David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all of his household. And it was told David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. And so David went and brought up the ark of God to the house of Obed-Edom, to the city of David with gladness. Now, what happened was they were trying to transport this ark by using methods that were not ordained by God. And when the ark was jostled and Yusa tried to steady it, he touched the glory and died. Out of fear of what had happened to Yusa, no one wanted to try to transport this ark any further. There was a house on the road that belonged to this man by the name of Obed-Edom. And so it was decided, the ark is still on the cart. Let's just move it over to that guy's house, unhitch the oxen, and go on and leave it there until we figure up a plan of how we're going to be able to move it. Obed-Edom had not done anything special. Obed-Edom, as far as we know, had not been praying for the glory to come. Obed-Edom's only place was that he lived on the road where the ox had stumbled and Yuza had gotten killed. And David went to Obed-Edom and said, Obed-Edom, I'm King David. I'm transporting the ark and I want to leave it here at your house for a season of time. Obed-Edom, I need to tell you something. Stay away from that ark. It's dangerous. Tell your kids, don't play with it. You see that puff of smoke down there on the road? That puff of smoke, that guy's name was Yusa. 
He's the last guy that touched that ark in an inappropriate way. You stay away from it. You used to learn the hard way. Obed-Edom, you stay away from that thing. That thing will kill you. That thing is loaded. Be careful. Treat it with respect. We're going to unhook the ox and go our way. And one of these days, we'll come back and get it when we figure out how we can move that thing without killing people. And so David went his way. Three months passes. And word comes all the way to the house of David, to the king's chambers, about this nobody whose only claim to fame is he had a house on the side of the road where Yuzah got killed. And how that God is blessing the house of Obed-Edom. How blessing was upon the house of Obed-Edom. We don't know exactly what all was happening, but we know that it was good only because the glory was there. And David no doubt was jealous and thought to himself, it's not supposed to belong to Obed-Edom. That blessing belongs to me. I'm the one and got it. And so they went and studied and they found out you don't transport the ark on a new cart pulled by oxen, but you move it on poles inserted in the rings on the side on the shoulders of the Levites. And so David found out the ways of God and they went back and they got the ark and they brought it to the place that David had prepared for the ark to rest. Blessing had come upon the house of Obed-Edom. How many of you have seen the Transformations videos by George Otis? Have any of you seen those videos? You need to get those videos. Seek it out. And what they did in Transformations 1, 2, and now they're working on Transformations 3, is they went to places in recent years where the heavens had opened and the glory of God had come on cities and where God was moving. And one of the most phenomenal parts of that video to me was a small town, and I believe it was Guatemala, that revival came in the 1990s. And about 95% of the people in that town just got saved. A pastor friend of mine was traveling in Guatemala several years ago at night. He didn't even know where he was. His testimony was, he said, we crossed a bridge over a small river. And he said, we just literally came into the glory of God on the other side of that river. And he found out later that was the town that was in the Transformations video. But God just came and visited and took up residence in this town in Guatemala and just abided in that place. And one of the benefits that came out of that revival was in the area of agriculture. On the video, they show these amazing crops that these people are growing. They showed carrots this long. Looked like small baseball bats. Melons, gigantic melons. Vegetables like tomatoes, like this. They say that from the time a seed is planted in the ground until it germinates, comes up, bears fruit, the fruit ripens, and it's ready to go to market 27 days for that whole process. Prior to the coming of the glory of God in that town, that town was exporting about one tractor trailer full of produce per week. Now they export 40 tractor trailer loads of produce. The United States Department of Agriculture in Washington sent scientists down to Guatemala to investigate this, to try to figure out what kind of fertilizer they were using to make these crops explode. 
The people there just said it's just nothing but the presence of God in our place at this time. Well, I happen to believe that was some of the same kind of things that were going on in the house of Obed-Edom. Blessing had come. Great, great blessing had come in that place. Because when God comes, everything that He has comes with Him. Obed-Edom was blessed only because of the presence of the glory of God, which was resting upon the ark. It was not that he did anything, became anything, earned anything. He was just there in the glory. Anything, I want to repeat it again, becomes possible in the glory. In John chapter 2, the Bible tells the story of the wedding at Cana and how they'd run out of wine and how Jesus came and told them to fill these water pots with water and then sample the water. And that water had become a beautiful, exquisite-tasting new wine. And that scripture directly refers to this. It says Jesus manifested His glory in that miracle of turning water to wine. In Psalm 105, 37, we've referred to this before, about when Israel came out of Egypt. They came out delivered. They came out blessed. They came out healed from all of their diseases. Why? Because they came out in the glory. They came out in the glory. In 2 Corinthians 3.17, the Bible says that there's liberty in the Spirit. For the Spirit of God is, there is liberty, Paul said. There's freedom. There's blessing. When the glory of God comes, unfortunately, some people get mad. Some people get sad. But true Christians will always get glad. People that really know God will be thrilled and ecstatic and be so excited to be in the presence of their Father. My brothers and sisters, please hear my heart in this lesson. Make a place for the glory in your life. Make a place for His presence in your church and your ministry. Because if you will, blessing will come. Great, great blessing will come to your life can't help but come to your life. Find a man, find a woman that just loves the glory of God and is living according to the Word of God, enjoys the presence of God. That's a life that is going to be blessed. Children will be blessed. Grandchildren will be blessed. Every area of life. Does that mean there are no more problems? No. It just means in every problem there's a victory. In every battle there's success. When we go through hard times, the key to understand that is we're going to go through. And we're not going to stay there. We're not going to stand there. We're not going to be brought down and destroyed. We're going to go in. We're going to go through. We're going to come out the other side better, stronger, with a greater zeal, a greater passion for God, moving on from higher and higher and higher and higher and higher realms of glory in our lives on a daily basis. Amen? Now, this word is for pastors and for leaders. Men and women of God, listen to me. We've been to many churches in these last 10 years of God sending us from place to place. And we've had revival everywhere we've ever been. God has come and visited and moved powerfully in every place that God's ever sent us. But after 10 years, I cannot name for you one church, not even one church, that really was touched by God under an open heaven that fell in love with Jesus, that fell in love with the presence of God, who began to yield to God and repent before God and get into holiness before God and say, God, I'm nothing, you're everything. Come and visit me. Come and prune me. Come and discipline me. 
Come and change me. God, we just want your presence. God, we just want your power. God, we just want your glory here in our midst. I cannot name you one church anywhere that we've ever been that did those things that today is not being blessed. Not one. We've seen churches that were meeting in storefronts that got in the presence of God and just fell in love with Jesus and just hungered to see the presence of God come and be a part of their identity. That today are in beautiful new buildings with acres of their own land and beautiful buildings and crowds of people coming. We've seen churches that were doing well before revival came and because they fell in love with the glory and the presence of God and they wouldn't let it go. And they constrained it and said, this is part of a very identity of who we are and who we want to be, is we want God to come to church. Those churches are blessed, blessed, blessed. I have a brother of mine that travels with me in ministry and praise and worship. He's the full-time praise and worship leader at a church up in Connecticut. This church had about 400 people 10 years ago when revival first came. Of that 400, 200 of them left, said, we don't want anything to do with this. But that pastor with a seminary education and an earned doctorate in theology knew that he had experienced something in the presence of God and in the glory of God that he'd never experienced in the classroom of one of the most famous seminaries in the world. And he said, God, we're just going to have you. The name of that church is Church of the Living God. And God came to live in that place. And half the people in the church left when God came in. But that pastor said in his heart, if I have to choose between God's presence and their presence, it's not much of a choice. It's a pretty easy decision to make. And my friend, Pastor Rick, is full-time praise and worship leader in that church. I had asked him to come with me to Georgia for our time together just to have some worship, some of our meetings here. He couldn't come. You know why he couldn't come? because we couldn't work out the airline reservations to have him back in Connecticut in the morning quick enough. Because that church today has a Saturday night service at 5.30. They have a second service on Sunday morning at 8 o'clock. They have a third service on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. Just trying to cram five or 600 people into every one of those meetings And the reason Rick couldn't be with us this weekend is they have rented a big facility tomorrow to bring the entire church together to kick off the building program for their third building that will seat upwards of 1,500 people. And they know it's too small now, but it's all the land that they've got. God has blessed it and prospered it. I could tell you story after story after story after story that illustrates that truth. Leaders, pastors, ministers, do not be afraid to let God's presence come to your church because in His presence, everything that He is is resident there. In His glory is everything that is required. People, money, finances, giftings, answers to prayer, it's all there. And the reason that most pastors and most leaders, unfortunately, are afraid to let God come to church 
is they're afraid that someone won't like it. They're afraid of controversy. One of the greatest revivalists that ever lived was Charles Finney. We've referred to him already, and we're going to get to him in our next lesson again. Charles Finney said, A revival is not a revival unless it's persecuted. A revival is not really a revival unless it causes controversy. Now, this is a man that saw entire cities saved. 78% of the people that got saved in his meetings were still serving God 25 years later. Charles Wesley once wrote in his own journal, he said, we go into a church that has 70 people. We have a great move of God, a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And at the end of the week, we've got 35 left. Because religion and the spirit of religion will always react adversely to the revelation of glory. But men and women of God, leaders in the church, if we'll just go on with what God's doing, if we'll make a place for the Holy Spirit, if we'll rather insist that God change, if we'll change, rather than insist that He yield, if we will yield, that glory will flow. The conditions will be right for the revelation and the manifestation of the Spirit of God in our ministries and in our churches. And the blessing of God just like it came upon the house of Obed-Edom, will come upon our house, will come upon our life, will come upon our ministry. It'll be easy. It'll be easy. I heard a startling statistic recently, and that is that out of a hundred men or women that are genuinely called to the ministry when they're young people, at the end of life, at the time of retirement, only four out of the 100 are still in active ministry. 90% fall away. 90% give up and quit to discouragement, despondency, pressures, people, and all the problems of ministry. Brothers and sisters in ministry, when God opens the heavens and His glory comes down, it's not hard anymore. It's fun. It's life. It's joy. It's blessing. There's a peace There's an ease in the presence of God that can be found in no other way. Make a place for the glory and you'll find great success and great blessing out of the riches of that glory. God bless you.